0: Aren't you just a little bit scared? No. Now, if I was, I wouldn't be doing it.
1: Water gel, a scientifically prepared fire retardant, was the only protection Grant used against the flames. Just before the stunt, he put on woolen underwear soaked in it, and smeared the gel all over his face and hair. Here we go. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One. Ignition. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth book. What is... Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap-like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer, fools. But I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that... They form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices instant, painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose!
2: Uh, I choose not disintegration.
1: So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch, and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get
2: to Now
1: this? go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing the Honeywell experiment (laughs) Virginia summon the subject Ladies and gentlemen, um, no skit this week, because, of course, it is time for our yearly visit with our dear friend, a man who is a titan of filmmaking, as well as a veritable film encyclopedia. He just put out a autobiography called Adventures in the Bee trade yeah, yes, Adventures in the B-movie trade. He's holding it up right now to, to show us. Uh, this, once again, I'd like to welcome back uh, to the Honeywell Experiment, the great Brian Trenchard Smith. Well,
0: thank you very much. I mean, I couldn't wish for a better introduction uh, and uh, I, th- I thank it you still, for
1: your interest. It still shocks me to be able to call you my friend, I got to say, but I'm very honored by that as well. Ah, Um,
0: I'm flattered by the friendship of everyone who uh, likes my
1: work. So, um, let's talk about, we're going to talk more about the book today. Um, I think it was last year you told me you were working on it. Yep. And um, I've read it. Chris, have you read it?
2: Of course, I read it. I I couldn't wait to read it. I I gotta say, it it is almost written right up to the second. Like by the time I hit the last page, I felt like I almost had just ended up on on your Facebook feed from, <laughs> from the day from the day before. As as it got closer and closer, I'm like, oh my god, we're into we got some current events going on in in here. So yeah. it's.
0: I I finished reading, I finished writing it um, and and, gearing up uh, for uh, publication uh, uh, just as as COVID struck Uh, and it did occur to me that I had actually, you know, chronicled, you know, the end of an era uh, because film production was never going to be the same again. and as we've seen, the whole industry has been disrupted, uh, and is realigning itself with the change in public uh, viewing habits that uh, COVID brought about, as well as also the, you know, obviously the, the health issues uh, and uh, and the social changes that COVID uh, brought about. Uh, so um, we seem to be moving into more of a of, of a streaming, uh, right. Uh, of watching movies as opposed to the collective uh experience with
2: hundreds of people around you i, I have a question how, how do you how do you personally feel like right now about like going to a movie theater and seeing a movie well i'm
0: i'm fully vaccinated been
2: made mm-hmm. safe democracy. uh and
0: uh i um felt you know once i'd i'd, I'd done my 14 days after the second injection that i, I I trusted the efficacy uh, of the vaccine, um, and I was going to cautiously re-enter the world. Um, and most importantly, um, I needed to go and do my hour of laps three times a week okay. in the local swimming pool, um, which is you know, a, you know, a, a health, you know, essential, I think, for, for my health. Uh, and. Uh, um and i would you know resume my second love well actually mm-hmm. my first uh, which is going to the movies but i i would do it you know cautiously um and so you know, I generally about once a week i will go to the movies uh and uh, um eh, but i will still i'm not interested in going into really crowded places uh so i often choose a a, a session where the theater is you know, at least half empty mean um, there were COVID restrictions that, that mm-hmm. ensured that anyway. But now that there aren't any, I'll still choose a matinee. Um, you know, I won't go and see Black Widow uh, mm-hmm. on, a, mm-hmm. on, a, on a Friday or Saturday night. No, I'll, uh, um, you know, I'll probably see it on a Tuesday afternoon or something like that.
1: Uh, I, first time i went into a movie theater since covid uh was recently when i took my mother for her birthday to see the past, the latest fast and furious movie because she adores the fast and the furious movies mm-hmm. um and it was it was very strange getting back there because it was om- it was sunday it was sunday afternoon it was near empty and it still it still felt odd because we're so now so used to just bringing stuff in by, by streaming.
2: I, I can't wait but I'm waiting for the right movie. I'm waiting for something that I really is gonna be nice on the big screen but yeah I, I, I can't wait to get back to it.
0: yeah well it, it looked the, the big screen experience it, it, it's you know it is different from even your 60 inch screen uh, mm. the small room. Uh, of the house. Um, though I'm, yeah, you know, very grateful to be able to see television on a big, on a 60-inch screen, it uh, it brings it much more to life. But there's something about, you know, being, sharing the emotions with a crowd. Um, yeah. Theater. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a great community experience, and I hope it, it returns without anxiety, but it's going to take probably a, a year or two for people to let's say, accept, uh, you know, the you know, the issues surrounding COVID and its, mm-hmm. and its inevitable continuation as a virus we'll always have to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like a, It'll be a, an annual flu COVID booster situation uh, for most people, I think, particularly people of my age, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, hale and hearty though I may be, um, uh you know it's it's just sensible uh to to have those boosters, or oh, I've been having uh, flu injections for five years, so uh, makes makes perfect sense to me. anyway, um covid you know has, uh, has also yeah, prompted some great innovations in uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. the has helped stimulate them further um, with these LED screens and the ability to basically do yeah, huge spectacles entirely in the studio I mean that was obviously underway for some time but now you there are all you know, all sorts of things you can do totally in the studio and if you look at um, you know some of you know, the, the streaming shows of the, you know that Disney have been doing uh, Loki the latest one that I'm uh, quite enjoying uh, um, you know every landscape every planet every yeah, every giant interior can be created digitally uh, and the the actors can be all, all shot in a small sound stage so uh, with 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 this new technology uh, and that's going to ch- make film production cheaper which I think is probably a good thing I think we we we, we, we need to see fewer 250 million dollar movies getting made uh, and better here, here better 50 million dollar and 100 million dollar movies getting made um but you know i'll take a hundred million anytime anyone wants to offer it to me and i will spend it uh, but, if i had it i would give it to you my friend oh thank you i've always said you you know uh, someone says well when are you making your next movie And i say you got the money i got the time <laughs> anyway so, uh, all donations gratefully received um uh, uh, anyway uh so you
1: developed as a director in a much more primitive time when people were really doing some of the stuff i mean there is a a lot of fire stunt discussion in the early part of your book yeah we kind of
0: pioneered fire stunts without a fire suit in australia australia is a very innovative country uh, and, uh, uh, and I think uh, the Australian film industry became quite clever at uh, um, you know, producing big results for um, relatively low dollars. Uh, but I, when I you know decided to go independently, of the, the the security of um, you know, being a TV executive, um, running promotions, on-air promotions uh, okay. for the Channel Nine. Uh, in Sydney uh, or in, across across Australia eventually. Um, I yeah, always wanted to make movies, obviously, and uh, I used promotion as a wee way to you know, train myself um, in the various disciplines of, uh, of filmmaking, because uh, in those days, you know, you wound film through uh, a, a viewer on your uh, editing bench and uh, you cut with a you know, with a splicer and uh, and so forth. So it's very much a hands-on thing. And I'd, luckily I came up through the hands-on training. Um, uh, anyway, I decided what kind of movies do I want to make? Obviously, I want to make the movies I was drawn to as a child. And, yeah, they were very often action movies. Obviously, I was drawn to suspense, great Hitchcock lover. Um but I loved westerns, I love war movies, uh, uh, action pictures, gladiator pictures, you know, spectaculars, particularly spectaculars. I liked epics um, and always wanted to make an epic. Um, and, uh, but uh, but I, I, one thing I realized uh, with all, having made, you know, movie trailers uh, for theatrical mm-hmm. releases, uh, action is the universal currency of the movie market and it crosses all language barriers. So I was going to make my first production, which was called The Stuntmen, it was a 50 minute color, of course we were still in black and white in Australia in those days, a 50 minute color, 16 millimeter um, documentary about uh, how stuntmen did their stunts by creating a fake movie sequence um, and then showing how the stunts in it were done. You know, there one one and a half minute movie sequence and then six minutes of reveal as to how it was done. And uh, so I did a war movie, um, a motorbike um, um, a, a commercial with lots of crashes in it, um, a Western shootout with all sorts of horse stunts and um, a car chase um, concluding in the car catching fire and crashing into a tree and catapulting the uh, driver and passenger through the windscreen on fire um, and uh, rolling off the hood of the car onto the ground uh, to their demise. Um, And uh, so, uh, wanted to break some new ground um, and at the same time we were, you know, uh, shooting this, a product came to my notice called Water Gel um, that uh, my lead stuntman had uh, uh, got hold of uh, and it was actually a fire-retardant blanket with uh, appropriate gel that was used to throw to put out electrical fires um, uh, in a factory uh, and uh, it, he worked out that if you soaked uh, one set of uh, cotton underwear long johns let's say in, in this gel And then you put another layer uh, on top of that that will stop it soaking outwards too rapidly. And then you put a layer of costuming over that that you then sprayed with fuel and lit up. Um, And as long as your face and your hair and any exposed skin was wetted with the gel, um, uh, then you, you know, would not get burned provided you, you know, obeyed all the little rules of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've done, well, I think, I count six or seven fire stunts myself, uh, uh, mainly as demonstrations, publicity stunts, you know, uh, the hottest director in town. <laughs> <laughs> was in,
1: yeah, no, you four. spent a lot of time. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. That's all right. Anyway, so. Uh, did, yeah, you so spent I, a lot uh, of time working, um, creating trailers. Mm-hmm. How, do you think, and the thing is, I look at you, I look at Joe Dante, I look at Alan Arkish. Do you think that that is something that is kind of missing now? Because trailers now are done by their own houses.
0: Well, there, there, there are trailer specialists that are hired for, uh, I mean, there were There were trailer companies right back in the day, and I worked for one, the National Screen Service and a big American company that provided posters and stills across America and and Canada and the UK. And uh, Mm. uh, they had a a, a UK branch uh, and I was hired as the junior of four writer producers of trailers based upon my considered to be innovative uh, promos for American shows uh, in Australia. Uh, but a trailer making as such is a great training ground for filmmaking. Uh, and as you know, both you know, Joe Dante and Alan Arkush became you know, great filmmakers in their own right. Uh, and uh, uh, so it, it, it you, you see one of the, the most important skills that a director has to have is to understand the power of editing Uh, and uh, uh, it you know you if you understand the the language and well the grammar and syntax of film uh, uh, you will you will learn it through the editing process Uh, and uh, trailer making requires you to strip a film back to maybe two minutes of its most Commercially appealing moments uh, that gives the audience a sense of what they might see and and wets their appetite. Current trailers tend to sort of give you almost the whole movie uh, and spoil all sorts of visual surprises. Uh, right, so they don't have the same, quite the same impact, uh, uh, or and so quite often they are they reveal plot points. Uh, oh, he's going to die. Okay. Oh dear. Uh, and uh, so um, it, it and, and I'm guilty of having done that myself in my mm. early trailers. Insofar as they were longer, three minutes, far too long. Don't show them three minutes. Wet right. their right with ninety seconds uh, or sixty seconds, uh, and uh, and then let me, you know, have faith that the movie will work for them. Uh, you just have to tease the subject matter. There'll be people who say, no, I don't want to see gladiator movies. Thank you very much. I'm not going to that. Oh, oh right. gladiator movies. I, I I don't care. Uh, I love gladiator movies. I'll see any gladiator movie. And I did, of course, when I was 15, 16, you know, I, I saw every cheap Italian gladiator movie and that cheap movie. And, you know, I, I, I enjoyed those kind of fantasies. Of course, yeah, I, I loved you know uh, the Ray Harryhausen pictures, and uh, I've always been into fantasy anyway. But getting back to trailers, they were a great training ground for uh, learning the you know the, the you know the language of film uh, and the shortcuts that you can make in storytelling. So I, I, I consider that you know such skills as I have uh, all came from you know you know teaching myself tv promo making and luckily getting a gig making you know trailers for you know such theatrical releases as Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West which if you go to YouTube you can see my original trailer for that Uh, and uh, yeah it's still it's actually quite a good trailer still today so most of my hundred plus trailers I think are too long.
1: (laughs) But then again, we were we were dealing with a, a different I wanna say attention span back in the sixties and the seventies where people were, were okay with sitting and, and watching a three minute commercial, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's but true.
1: I, I think the problem today is that the tr- is that everything now is too long. Mm-hmm. Um especially when you're dealing with something like okay, recently I reviewed the Army of the Dead, which has a great elevator pitch, you know, mm-hmm. it's, seven, it's Ocean's Eleven, only with zombies.
0: Yeah, well, it's not And i not like
1: I, I want to see that. But yeah. there's there's so much. It's two and a half hours. It deserves to be 90. I, yeah, it, it's yeah. But it, it,
0: it is a 90 minute idea, uh, which because of the budget, they felt, OK, we, we better make it an epic. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's not an epic idea, and frankly, I didn't like it, and I'm a Zack Snyder fan. Um, you and me both. Uh, but I thought, whoops, sorry. Um, I, I I think you, 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 you lost the plot here. Uh, yeah, I didn't I, like I anybody. Think...
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian.
0: I didn't like anybody, uh, and uh, I didn't, you know, some of the things – that went on were, you know, uh, defied logic uh, or, or, you know, you, you, this, you've got to have a certain level of credibility. And I think they broke rules in a, in a number yeah. of places. And
2: and, and uh, their, own, their own internal logic, they sort of yeah. broke a lot, which yeah. is, yeah, you can make a weird, wacky internal logic. But once you have to be once, consistent,
1: make yeah. the rules and stick to them, right?
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so anyway, there you go. So um it, we can all make mistakes and I certainly have made my share. Um uh... What
1: what I think is, is, is almost exciting though about the landscape as we're coming out of COVID for visual entertainment is that we have a situation where television and film are equally valid, so that somebody like Zack Snyder i think Zack snyder should move into television and do you know eight hour eight hour serials
2: miniseries or whatever yeah,
1: yeah. exactly but
2: yeah. um yeah i mean well, the line between what is a television show and what is not a television show is or what used to be a movie is is so blurred now you know i mean Black widows in the theaters and streaming right now however you want to see it and
1: I, I get the suspicion that Disney that Disney is thinking now we make more money off of Disney plus hmm. so that there's probably gonna they're probably going to cut back theatrical releasing
0: yeah because it, it is it, it is no longer it's a very expensive way of retailing the product uh, I mean you have to the distributor has to pay for the prints or, you know, it used to be much more expensive, of course. Now you can just send a a file to each theater. Uh, But the distributor has to pay for advertising uh, the product. Uh, Then the exhibitor takes 50% of the take uh, of the revenue uh, and gives it to the distributor. The distributor takes his, uh, I should be pronoun correct, his or her um right. uh, there. Uh, 35 there i'm sorry i'm guilty of pronoun crime uh but uh, <laughs> uh, i i i yeah i and i don't mean to yeah <laughs> Poor scorn. We're
1: all criminals here, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> I, I,
3: I'm,
0: I'm, I, I like to think I'm progressive in terms of uh, gender issues, uh, but I'm obviously sounding terribly retrograde. Um, but it's just my sense of humor. Just think of it that way. Uh, I see lots of ironies in life all the time. And you may find if you read my book, it is. Uh, yes. full of ironies. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, but
1: you can go back. For a second, to your fire stunts, it's because of your it's because of your, your your traveling stunt show that you made probably the biggest impulse decision of your life that has worked out to an incredible degree, namely meeting and deciding to marry almost within a week. Your well, your wife.
0: Yeah, we 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 met and married in a period of sixteen days, nine of which I was away. Uh, we I was starting to discuss marriage within four hours or at least discuss this is serious um uh, and by within nine eight or nine hours we're just dealing with issues of children religion uh, (laughs) you're in america i live in australia how is this going to work um so anyway the next day uh, basically almost sort of 24 hours since we met um, I proposed and after half an hour of of, of persuasion um, she accepted uh, and uh, uh, the rest as they say is history I then had to leave um, uh, three days later I think Uh, yeah met met, yeah Um, and uh, it returned the Thursday of the following week. I had to go to do another um, uh, promotion for Man from Hong Kong in Kansas, uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and other stuff in L.A., uh, and then came back to El Paso, and we married on uh, on, on that Saturday. So we, we married 16 days after we, we met and only knew one another for seven days. Um, and my wife is, you know, still talking to me. Well, most of the time, anyway. Uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, so we, we, we have a happy life up here in um, forested Oregon. Um, uh, however, uh, have view t- I uh, have viewfinder will travel to uh, draw upon a, a 50s western uh, series. Uh, and so, as I said, you got the money, I got the time. Um, and uh, there are a couple of scripts that have been offered to me, and I've said, yeah, you you got the money. I will be, I'll give this a, uh, I'll make this a hell of a ride. Um, well,
1: that was one of the interesting uh, running themes in reading the book is you're, you address the situation where you want to be an artist, but you also have to be a businessman because movies are a business as well as an art form. Yeah.
0: That's uh, it. It it certainly it's a challenge to to to, let's say, to satisfy your creative muse uh, and keep the bank balance uh, Uh. where it should be. Uh, And you can't always be choosy. And my attitude was, uh, you know, I love all genres. Uh, I just love filmmaking. I love creating images uh, with the camera. I love, uh, you know, you know directing actors uh and you know putting the film together manipulating the emotions of the audience with uh, you know it, with the way the film is edited the way the music is scored and, and and so forth so um i just love the process so if i'm handed a script that can only be improved so much because it was perhaps a really dumb idea in the first place but mm-hmm the powers that be are prepared to put a certain amount of money behind this project because they believe it will sell i'll give them my advice as to how it could be improved but you know when you're told to make a virus movie in 12 shooting days um on a on a you know a, a remote caribbean island um you don't say you know oh no i i don't want to do that uh, i will say You're offering me a job. I will do my level best and make it the best virus movie uh, that these people, for whatever reason, just want to broadcast on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Say, you know, I mean, say to my you you, you say to your date, you know, uh, is this Valentine's Day? You know, um, wouldn't it be a great idea? We'll go out to dinner and uh, celebrate our, our, our love and then we'll go home and watch that virus movie uh, <laughs> on, on, on the holiday island of their choice uh, and uh, uh, anyway that was somebody's commercial decision i i don't think it rated particularly well uh, and i think that particular uh, cable channel is now defunct or was absorbed by uh its competitors um but i was not going to say uh this is beneath me Um, this is a gig, and this is a challenge, uh, and I love a challenge, Uh, so, um, you know, I made The Paradise Virus, which, you know, I, I, you know, is not a film that I would, you know, uh, normally be, well, as a viewer, that I would be drawn, I thought there are viewers that are drawn to this sort of thing, so how do I please them, Uh, and I think I've learned through, you know, decades of uh, of studying promotion and publicity and studying the elements that make films work because I'm a voracious consumer uh, of, of, of film um, I've, I've acquired a certain amount of understanding about how to make you know an audience respond to any particular genre uh, and so you know I, I yeah. certainly ramped up the tears uh, it- <laughs> and uh, and, and yeah, and for some, perhaps it, it really worked. I mean, it was shown on television all over the world.
2: Uh, be, being in, in B movies reminds me of being like an independent band tour touring around and stuff where you love playing your music and stuff, but sometimes you get booked to like your rock band and that they, they we booked you in this retirement home. What, what, what <laughs> can I say? They had a budget and they. They, so you're playing a retirement home and all of a sudden you have to, you know, they're like, well, you know, we could sort of fake turkey in the straw or something. And all of a sudden you have to entertain people in a in a retirement home. And, well, uh, sorry, and it's just as make... fun as playing in front of a rock bed. I'm, I'm speaking this from experience because we <laughs> actually had to do this. And, and, you know, it was like, OK, this is our audience. And and it's almost, uh, say, like my uh, housemate who worked for, um, Fred Olin Ray once doing a movie for the lifetime network. That was a mother's, a mother's day release. And it was a spy story. And, um, you know, it was a, had a mother and daughter in it, but people were getting shot and thrown out of buildings and, and, you know, it was, it was a bloodbath (laughs) basically. And, uh, there's something, there's something almost surreal and amazing about that whole that whole world existing, you know there's the the multi hundred million dollar people who get to be auteurs and stuff like that and everybody so everybody sort of wants to not everybody but a good amount of people want to hit that point mm-hmm. but the the if if you like just doing it, there's just more opportunity to do it and then you get this wide swath of things that mm. you you may or may not have control over and it's it ends up being like a more i i find you know you know like a book about kubrick is going to be about kubrick's mind and stuff but you know like say the book we read by Graydon clark or roger corman's book you know you have this is how i made the movie and this is the ideas i had behind the movie but then you have also all those other things Mm-hmm. that come into it and I especially like the stories of um and and this and it reminds me you're, you're about my father's age and that generation just sort of post-world war ii and I also knew this other guy who made films he was more he was in world war ii he start he was a um, painter you know studied painting in in France and was going to be a painter sculptor and then was in the army and ended up storming the beach at Normandy. And they'd seen, he'd filmed a couple like home movies before. And they said, Oh, you're a filmmaker here. Here's a camera you're filming on Normandy. And that's how he started his film career. And that, that time period, just post world war two, the stories of how people landed in their careers are the most, the, the, The first third of this book is my favorite part of the book you know almost before the before well it's it's before a third into the book when you start making movies but the the lead up into it and the the world was in you know turmoil post turmoil and people were going all over the world in the in the military and traveling to other places and learning this sort of mixed bag of of skills and things and then landing on a career you know these days people would go like that oh, i want to be a filmmaker i'm going to go to film school or do this instead of this sort of workmanlike place where it's like oh all of a sudden i found myself cutting commercials and you know i i like movies and and there you are it always makes for a more interesting story to me you know that 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 arc of finding it so so the the, the Front half of your book was especially good. I just love I love hearing how it goes from the movie theater towards I have a camera in my hand. I'm making a full length motion picture. Mm, yeah. It's more interesting than the stories you know, probably from the 70s on a, a lot of points, cool. you know, probably probably since you know, the Coppola 70s era where it was like oh, these people coming from film school this group of young filmmakers
0: well i never went to film school and i i I never went to university Mm -hmm. uh Uh uh, but i went to a very good private school which was almost like the first two years of university Mm -hmm. so i left at 18 uh and went out into the world not i had offers of a place at you know Bristol University uh, to go on studying I you know I was a classical uh, I I studied classics and history uh but I just didn't want any more having had 10 years of of boarding school I didn't want any more uh academia uh so I I bypassed that and maybe it's a gap uh, maybe I would have benefited from going to the the London School of Film Technique I don't
2: uh, know though <laughs>
0: But but frankly, uh, I, I maybe I would. I I I. Yeah. I, I but, but on I, the
1: other hand, you learn by doing. Well, yeah, that's, that's, You learn by by getting your hands dirty.
0: Yeah, I I didn't want to wait any longer. I'd been making eight millimeter films at school. Mm-hmm. I even directed my first battle scene uh, at uh, age eighteen uh, mm-hmm. at, at my school, and uh, you yeah, know I, yeah, I had a squad of uh, of twenty men, and I had. Uh, you know, half of them uh, defend a trench line and half of them overrun it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, uh, so, and I I learned a little bit uh, uh, about um, uh, the the, the good use of foreground, Uh, you know, get behind the guy in the trench line, look past his rifle at the approaching troops as they fire, uh, as opposed to So show geography, make it clear uh, to the audience, uh, who's where and what's going on. And uh, so it was a learning curve for me, uh, making eight millimeter films for my amusement and to exercise my inner passion for this sort of thing. Uh, So I, I was ready to go out and try and get into the business, which was obviously much harder than making an eight millimeter film. Uh, Breaking in is hard Uh, and luckily I was in the right place at the right time after some you know uh, a few little jobs in the the business uh, in England but uh, which was the the film industry was controlled by um, uh, the trade union involved at the time which made it it, it was hard to get in unless you had uh, a close relationship with a union member. Uh, and so I decided to go to australia which where the business was not uh there was no res- you know, no sort of compulsory union membership and um, and, and restrictive a- entry uh into the film business. It was just you know anyone wants a job they can and anyone 's offered a job they can have it and luckily i i had arrived at a, a, a at a time when the Australian television industry was just sort of getting going. And, and you know, very little drama was being made, you know, all the, all the easy stuff was being made, you know, news, documentaries, etc. Mm-hmm. But I was there at a time when an, a whole generation of, of young Australians, and I'm half Australian on my father's side, um, decided, hey, we want to have our own film industry again. We had it before World War Two, but foreign interests basically froze out local production mm-hmm. in favor of making sure that theatres were free for all, you know, their films of 20th, all all 20th Century Fox films, all all from the UK, from from the USA, and and, uh, Rank films, you know, Frank, sorry, Rank, uh, that had Pinewood Studios pushing out films. They, you know, they they wanted those films to play the prime playing dates of Australia. Um, And uh, so the film industry from 1950 onwards in Australia shrank to virtually nothing um, by the mid 60s or by the early 60s. And the only films that were being made tended to be foreign productions that came in. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there was a generation growing up saying, hey, we want to do this, too. And we should we should be telling our own Australian stories. Uh, and getting them into our own Australian theatres which are primarily servicing you know foreign distributors and shipping all the money out and Mm a bunch of us uh, you know lobbied and the government um, uh, and uh, even suggested a 10 percent withholding tax on all uh, distribution or all revenue that was being shipped out of Australia from uh, local Cinema receipts uh, to fund Australian films, and that of course made the the powers that be. that they took fright uh, and uh, eventually agreed, okay, we'll invest in local films if Australia, if the Australian government and subsequently state governments provided, you know, co-funding, uh, and that's how basically the Australian cinema renaissance occurred in the late 60s, um, producing. uh, an initial success directed by Bruce Beresford in 1970 called The Adventure of Barry McKenzie, which is a wonderfully enjoyable retrograde film uh, 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 full of sexism and drunkenness. uh, And uh, actually (laughs) an interesting social document, really. uh, And it's possibly less funny than it was in 1970 uh, because we've all grown up a bit. Uh, But 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 some
1: of those, some of those films that become classics, like, you know, you and I have talked many times about having you on for Wake and Fright, Mm -hmm. um, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Gallipoli. These are films that are uniquely Australian. Yes. Yeah. uh, But they speak to everybody. They speak to people around the world. Yeah. 30 Weekend. Uh, yeah. early, uh, I think it was in the first year of our show, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, I mean, there the, were the, a the lot of you know great films that were made that came out of this explosion of new talent with new ideas, uh, you know, um, more in tune with the, you know, the taste of the cinema-going audience uh, at that time. Uh, and uh, so I, I started a movie magazine that sold in theaters uh quarterly uh uh called movie strangely enough um uh, my first it was we put it we always put a year on it movie 73 was mm-hmm. came out christmas 72 uh uh and uh was published quarterly from there on um i sold out my in- interest in 78 uh but it you know i i i created this thing and they, they said oh let's We'll have a print run of uh, 20,000 copies and let's see if that works and we can sell all Mm -hmm. the theatres in Australia. And they sold 16,000 straight away, Um, so then we printed 25,000 for the next edition and sold 22,000 and so it went on until yeah, you know, pretty regularly we were we were doing forty to fifty thousand uh, copies, but you, yeah, that that's that was at a time when interest in in movie going in Australia was at its peak with the emergence of the Australian film industry, and I and I promoted Australian films a lot in that magazine, so it was a an, an, an adjunct to my film production career was you know, uh, to continue my interest in film promotion through a, a print. Uh, magazine sold in the theaters uh, so because um, I I'd, I'd sort of fallen in love with the American magazine photoplay which was mm-hmm. in England uh, and uh, I thought wow I'd like uh, I'd like to have a magazine like that one day because I you know it, it fascinated me and um, so you know uh, Australia was you know uh, you know a, a, a great place for me to mm-hmm. decide yeah um with a hundred English pounds in my pocket um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, I, I bought bought passage on a ship um, actually ended up on the Achille Lauro, uh, which uh, oh boy <laughs> had, yeah. had an interesting interesting history um, yes. and it, was, uh, it was quite quite a voyage uh, four and a half weeks with um, uh, picking up all the stranded uh, migrants to Australia from various European ports that have been stranded by the British seamen strike, um, and uh, it caused me to be transferred to an Italian ship. And a, a ship built for 1,250 was carrying over 1,700 by the time we reached Australia. And there was some <laughs> lively times on that ship. Um, yeah, as We picked up uh, Italians, Greeks, uh, Lebanese, um, uh, and, you know, uh, maltese uh migrants um as well as the british migrants i i wasn't an official british migrant i just uh, you know bought passage i had i had money saved and i went to australia a hundred pounds and was working within you know, three weeks at channel ten as a news film cutter as mm-hmm. you will but anyway um all of that was was you know good training for me
1: mm-hmm the other thing I think that, that the film industry now is missing is that you've done a kid, you've done kids films, you've done science fiction films, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about the man from Hong Kong on this show, we've talked about uh, Dead End drive on this show, you've done a diverse number, diverse genres. Whereas now it's it seems like if you make a good horror film, that's what they're going to want you to make for the rest of your your time. They yeah. don't want you to make other things.
0: Well, yeah. that's like, it. they want a carbon copy of your last success or of a significant <clears throat> success in your ultra. Uh, and because they they know what they're getting there, and so if the first time you stray outside uh, the the parameters that are perceived to be uh, y- your, you know, soul speciality, um, then, you know, it, it is a risk, let's say, for the financiers. Uh, uh, I didn't have a, uh, let's say, any record in horror comedy, uh, mm-hmm. or I made Night of the Demons 2, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd made a, a, a supernatural you know, uh, sort of astral-traveling psychic thriller called Out of the Body, um, uh, which, you know, we we made in Australia for $500,000. And, you know, it it sold to to VHS outlets across the world Mm -hmm. in 1988 uh, and and, and did well. Uh, But, you know, if you're going to make a theatrical horror movie that is a sequel to a success like uh, Kevin Tenney's um, Night of the Demons, um, Mm -hmm. then you should choose someone with an established horror record. Uh, uh, The producers liked me uh, and would have gone for Kevin if the distributor had said, no, we want somebody new. Uh, And uh, then various other horror directors came and were auditioned by the distributor. And none of them, I think, had done quite the level of homework on the script that I did because I knew I had to work extra hard to get over that uh, initial, you know, prejudice against people who hadn't done something in the same genre. And luckily, Mm -hmm. when I talked about having a a tap in the haunted house that dripped upside down towards the ceiling, that kind of sparked something in the lady executive who was interviewing me uh, mm. and yeah and i was told later that you uh, know that, that was that's the sort of thinking that got me the job um even though ultimately we couldn't afford that idea and so mm. and borrowed for the in night of the demons three i believe mm. um, and um but um, uh but that kind of in response to the, to the material you know did the trick whereas other horror directors came in resting on their laurels right. uh, and uh, so that's a good piece of advice to e- anyone uh you, know, you go that extra mile um, before the interview
1: mm-hmm. well, well i think what, another thing that that you can learn from reading this book is if you respect the people you work with you get loyalty
3: Hmm. yeah
1: yeah um i i mean i i get the impression i don't think i've ever heard anyone say anything nasty about you in terms of an actor that you've worked with including some fairly famous ones that have yes
0: well i mean if you read the book and then talk uh yeah in day of the assassins i did have an a, 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 an actor who um l- literally uh uh spat on the ground in front of me after I announced you know, a creative decision that contradicted what he wanted. Uh, and normally I don't get that response from yeah. an actor, um, but I rewarded him by, by you know, giving him uh, a death uh, of being riddled with bullets uh, and <laughs> gave him you know, you know, full load uh, you know, squibs across his chest, which uh, certainly gave him something to think about, um, uh, when I called out. Uh, uh, um, but, hey, look. Uh, you but, don't uh, mess with the man
1: who has control of the film. <laughs>
0: anyway, but generally, actors don't respond to me like that. And uh, I, yeah, and as, you know, I, I tell the story in, uh, in the book of Glenn Ford cupping my balls at one point. Uh, it, it, it giving him a friendly squeeze um, in front of the entire crew um, uh, to, it, yeah, as, as I point out in the book it was uh, not that he was gay, he wasn't he was, you yeah. know, uh, I think four times married um, yes. and had brought his wife with him to, the, to this film uh, wife number three, I think uh, and, uh, but it, it was a, almost a kind of a gesture of power um, he, he yeah, he had
2: territory.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he 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 had me by the short and curly. It, it was it was our last shot, uh, and right. he, he had me by the. It was sort of told me he had me by the short and curlies uh, the entire uh, two days in which I was directing him. And it was an interesting experience, and uh, there's more about it in the book. But uh, mm. uh, it, it, the point is that it, the, the actors. Well, stars don't actually want you to direct them per se, unless they specifically ask you to. Uh, what they want you to do is make a good film around them. Uh, mm-hmm. They will decide how they're going to play their character, and yeah, you know, and probably have uh, the bigger the star, the more influence they'll have uh, um, over, you know, how the scene is played, and you know, uh, and you have to sort of try and balance the. the the dramatic needs of the other characters in the story to that uh, against what might be you know a somewhat you know self-centered approach from uh a star to a given scene but but i i've thought, generally found that most actors are extremely generous uh, in, in in the way they you know they they relate to their their partners in scenes because you know and, a, a one-line bit part can completely destroy your your
2: scenes.
0: Scene. You you better help that actor be good in his one-line bit part yeah. <laughs> uh, or scene. So, um, uh, and I, I've had examples of that happen uh, where, um, you yeah, anyway, so, uh, but I've always had a good experience with actors. I love actors. I, I try to be a, a father to my cast uh, and, Father Confessor, yeah, you know, team, you know, team leader, um, yeah, you know, uh, and court jester. Because everyone needs a laugh. Uh, that, that greases
2: the wheels of industry. Humor is important in that regard. Right. So speaking of actors, one of the, one of like a lot of the made for cable and stuff, I could see those movies sort of slipping under my radar. Of never, I. You know, I haven't heard of this movie. One movie I can't understand how I never ever heard of it was um, Frog Dreaming. Uh-huh. I uh, that when that movie came out, um, I I you know I was definitely an E.T. fan at the time, and like any fantastical Henry Thomas movie, like uh, to to me it seems like that movie should have been gotten a ton of play like on hbo or cinemax or something it should have been something that my friends and i saw a hundred times on t- on cable tv over the years i'd never heard of it and so i went went around looked it up and was watching it and thinking how did this movie slip between the cracks it also had one of my favorite things ever in it which is uh, a rail bike the, the yeah. bikes that run on a rail track. I've never seen one of those in a movie before, mm. um, but I, I was happy to see that. But I, I, I was watching this movie going, how did this, how did this not get any, any traction in those days, especially with Henry Thomas was such a talented actor and had been starred in the biggest money-making movie I think up to that point and yeah it, no it's it's, it's it's uh it's just the way it goes
3: um,
0: yeah it's, uh, it, 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 there's a series of 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 you know different factors were in play uh the everett de roche's script he was australia's best genre writer of that time uh, i think it, it was a very superior Kids' movie script mm-hmm. was possibly a little too adult in some respects for the parents of the kids they took. Uh, you know, if 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 a, t- a ten-year-old girl says to her mother in the movie, "Can you get herpes from French?" Uh, that <laughs> is an unusual line of dialogue for a children's film. But Everett was a man who had six children grown up, uh, mm-hmm. growing up, and and he he. He understood kids speak he understood kids' minds uh and uh, um and i think it made him a very good writer of, as a whole and certainly with some understanding I- into kids so uh in 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 some respects uh it was considered maybe it was not really g rated it was more p g rated uh because you know, it had little scary moments that were not in fact violent moments but they you know, but the idea was to make it, you know, uh, you know, suspenseful and and, and you know, sc- scary in a supernatural sort of way or, or a supernatural mystery way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so it, it had these inherent uh, boundary breaking. Uh, uh, it, it had a, a sort of a boundary breaking approach to how kids should be depicted um, and. Uh, that gave the distributors nervousness uh, but they thought oh well we can always cut those bits out uh and uh, um, so the film was initially well it was released totally uncut in australia as uh, and but the distributor didn't have faith in it he didn't see that there was nighttime business in it there was always nighttime business in et mm-hmm. but that was they didn't think oh this is possibly it's not kidsy enough but it's, too, it's, it's just too, too adult for kids and too kidsy for adults. So um, it, they decided to, instead of holding it for Christmas, which the summer school holidays, summer holidays, that would have been the prime playing time for a movie like that. We'll rush it out in the August school holidays. And then they didn't want to afford bringing Henry Thomas to Australia to help promote it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so they, And as a result, they did a $180,000 box office. Ridiculous. Uh, so, however, international distributors thought, oh, no, we, maybe this is okay." Um, Disney, I am told, actually wanted to buy the movie for a million dollars. Of course, yeah, the Australian budget was in those days it was close to five million, but um, I, a lot of that was inflated costs of money raising and executive producers, etc. But um, yeah, but Henry got a nice payday, and I was pleased about that uh but um uh, they so they the, the well the producers wanted three million so that died uh and uh, then they were back to trying to sell it to markets that were less interested uh, than disney in a kid's film um, uh, the weinsteins who at that point uh, you know w- w- were pre you know uh, uh, you know Miramax but they were p- before Disney uh, bought them um they saw its merit um and and uh they picked it up later but in the meantime it went straight to after the Disney thing failed it went straight to media home entertainment uh, on uh on you know yeah on VHS and then sold it immediately to cable stations where you and other people like you developed a fondness for it. I kept auditioning actors in the nineties who'd wagged school to see it in the mid eighties because they coming back on HBO was back on show t- it, like
2: BMX bandits. It did the circuit. Mm-hmm. Of, of, uh, I remember when BMX bandits was on a lot and I had a couple of friends who were R- rabidly, rapidly into that movie because they both had v- BMX bikes. But yeah, that that movie set them right over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that's
0: good. Anyway, so uh, that, that's how it didn't get a theatrical release in the United States until the Weinsteins picked it up. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, they, at that stage, didn't have the clout to get it into you know, holiday time, at yeah. so released out of holiday time, and it proved it did not have nighttime trade. Uh, uh, but so that's partly, and, and also it had this obscure title, the, the, at least the, you know, the, based on aboriginal um, you yeah. know, mythology of different dream times, and this was, uh, uh, and areas of different dreaming, um, uh, and this was the frog dreaming uh, mm-hmm. district. Uh, so, they changed it to The Quest. Uh, many movies mm-hmm. were the title, too, but, but it was certainly an accurate description of the story because it is a Quest movie, and, and as such mm-hmm. is endless. Um, so it still plays well today. I, I shot it to, deliberately because it, the way it was written, it had a kind of a, con- a country town in the 50s feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so we maintained that. Didn't try to make it '80s at all, with, but it was '80s. Uh, but it just looked and felt '50s, uh, and I think it that has given it a certain timeless charm um, in the next century. Uh, so um, I'm glad you're a fan of, of Frog Dreaming because it is, I think, one of my best films. It is a non-exploitation film. It's a it's a, a kids A feature um, that has. Yeah, you know, some a message um, and uh, a, a, a lot of, you know, fun and interesting stuff for, you know, I, I guess, you know, is it too scary for an eight year old? Mm-hmm. Probably not today, um, but uh, but it's it, it probably has an age ceiling of 15 uh, mm-hmm. until you're mm-hmm. adult enough to appreciate seeing a, a, a kid's film again. <laughs> uh so the, the the mid to late teenagers want you know sex and violence or mm-hmm. days they just want you know violence and and, and some crude humor uh, so, uh, Though i i don't think people want to watch you know sex on the screen the way they used to in the 70s when mm-hmm. when, when you know the floodgates were first opened and you know i don't think that's a bad thing either that that uh, um, uh, I, I don't you know the commodification of sex uh, in entertainment is actually yeah you know, not been helpful to the development of society. <laughs> Far be it from me to appear to be a moralist uh, uh, with my record, um, but <laughs> my film-making record, no criminal record I hasten to add. Um, but uh, um, anyway, it's uh, but I'm glad you singled out frog dreaming because uh, it. it, it 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 could be, you know, it's much easier to find now. It's the Blu-ray's come out beautifully remastered uh, and a very interesting set set of extras on the Blu-ray, which shows how little, you know, Wood End, the town Mm -hmm. we shot in, has changed in, you know, know, nearly 50 years.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you ever expect, well, I think, I don't think anybody expected back in 1970, 1980, that there would be this super, super, super clear way of seeing a picture. But did you ever expect to see films like Man from Hong Kong or Frog Dreaming uh, given this extra special treatment by these boutique um, video companies?
0: Well, I, I didn't expect it. I mean, initially, when you made a feature film and you saw it on the big screen, uh, and then the release was over, you thought, right, um, it'll never look that good again. Uh, mm-hmm. ne- yeah, this was a unique window of opportunity to see a film on a 40 foot or more sheet uh, in a dark <laughs> environment. From now now on, if it's seen again, it will be panned and scanned and cropped. Uh, right. and uh, uh, and shown on a small screen initially in black and white but <laughs> before Australia t- went to colour. Well, of course, no, Australia went to colour in 75. In, in Man from Hong Kong was released in 75. Uh, uh, but when it went to television, it was certainly in colour. Um, and I guess it went to VHS, I think, in the late... Uh, Well, by by 1980, I think it went to VHS, but it it was in the cropped, you know, um, panned and scanned uh, way. And the sound was, it it was a mono sound track in those days and it it, uh, was even further compressed. So that was as good as it was going to get. And then Mm -hmm. even so, when it went to DVD and was remastered on 2K, um, it... And given a sort of pseudo Dolby uh, uh, rendering of the soundtrack, it was, yeah. You know, again, it was shown on the te- on, on your home screen, which was, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not very big. Uh, yeah, it, was, it uh,
1: was a different aspect ratio. Yeah,
0: yeah. but now uh, we can, uh, you know, now films shot in the anamorphic ratio are shown in the anamorphic ratio on your sixty foot sixty inch screen. Uh, so we're getting much more of the cinematic experience at home, um, though it's still in a room with ambient light. It's still mm-hmm. you can pause it and go and have a pee or make a cup of coffee. You don't have that, you know, nonstop through you know, line right. dramatic experience. From, uh, uh, so you follow the story and it has your undivided attention for the duration. And that, that's part of the problem, of course, of you know, I, part I, I, of people I should oh, doing oh. things at home uh, because yeah. there will be these distractions, uh, be the be it the setting or be it the interruptions.
1: Hmm. There is one project that you were involved in that I keep hoping will get a uh, upscale DVD Blu ray release, which is, of course, you were one of several directors. Who directed episodes for the others? Mm, Uh, The Mitch Garris uh, created and produced uh, Morgan and Wong showrun supernatural series that lasted 13 episodes. Mm. I think it was 2000, was it?
0: Yes, yes, it was.
1: Okay. And I I loved that. I loved that show to death. Mm hmm. I find it very interesting that Glenn that Glenn Morgan chose his wife to play Death. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I
0: played her in an episode of Silk Stalkings. Uh, yeah, but before you know, the, the, I never met Glenn at that stage. I only met him when uh, some some years later, when they, I did the others. Yeah, Kristen. Yeah, sweet lady.
1: Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I keep hoping because I think considering the creative uh, input in that show and the people who came out of that show. um, I'm surprised nobody has done like a box set of the 13 episodes.
0: Yeah. um, I don't know, but if anybody could do it, it's Steven Spielberg and he was behind that show. Uh, Uh He felt very badly about how NBC treated it and how they threw it away at late night and did, he was promised that they would promote it, and then they didn't. Uh, and uh, but no, no doubt he had so many other things on his mind that uh, he, he he just moved on. Uh, but uh, I I I think it was a great show. Uh, I think Toby Hooper's uh, episode is really good. Mick Garris's episode is really good. Bill uh, did one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there, there were a lot of. I mean, the concept was let's not use standard episodic directors let's Mm -hmm. use feature film directors with some background in horror uh and that actually didn't sit too well with the showrunners uh Mm -hmm. of you know of of episodic television because right it it, it, they liked an an area of control uh and uh, they felt you know, that features directors are always a little bit too independent and think they mm. know better. Uh, whereas, you know, the showrunner is God uh, and don't change a comma in the script without uh, asking first. Um, and, uh, and at the time that I came on board, which is, you know, uh, I, I did episode three, I think. Um, mm. uh, um, uh, Bill Condon did episode two, and Mick had done the pilot um and uh, um there was already a sort of low-key internal civil war going on within mm. the production between the you know the original let's say showrunner uh, right. and the new showrunners uh yeah. and not that that it was not really an active war but it was it was just you know they needed to make sure that everyone understood who was really boss and uh so when you introduce these, when there's obviously a conflict that, you know, that and the network had imposed these showrunners, feeling that they were that X Files people would right. guarantee uh, what they were hoping to get out of it, mm-hmm. and the ratings didn't actually you know, do that. Uh, it wasn't so much their fault. It was a combination of um you know, the lack of promotion and the poor time slot and it's the mm. quick and the dead in, in in these kind mm. of shows and if if you have uh, you know, poor ratings then uh, mm. um so 10 o'clock on a Saturday night is kind of a graveyard as i recall yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know uh, and unfortunately the, the the dead did not rise um, <laughs> and, uh, so well, i
1: was watching Good. I
0: okay you know i didn't think it was great but in episodic you're as good as you're only really as good as your script because mm-hmm. uh, but i i had a great time doing it i got to work with uh, a remarkable actress julianne nicholson mm-hmm. a, you know a, a very good career um and uh, i i remember you know we, we had an emotional scene to do and I was getting very close to the lunch break and there'd be a meal penalty and you know I'd already caused one meal penalty and there were a lot of grim looking faces staring oh. at me behind the deck chairs and, um, and uh, but I thought you know um, she she said well is that okay and I, I and, and then my first ID was saying come on come on lunch 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 uh, and I said well now come on let's yeah let's roll the dice one more time give it a shot go on give it more give it more and this time the emotion was real and there was real tears coming down from her face uh and uh, um and she was sort of breathless at the end of the take uh and um i said yeah cut well done lunch um and uh, um, she came and said thank you thank you for giving me that extra take because she, you know, like you know, all, all the great actors, she was a perfectionist. She wanted to do her best. I know it's just another shot and another episode of another you know TV show, but you know, we all want to do our best, and uh, and it and when an actor can get that chance, that chance just to push the performance just a little bit more, um, uh, and 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 uh, achieve just a you know. A moment of truthfulness that uh, that she was striving for so that was good and i worked with gabriel Macht, who uh his father i had uh, directed in uh, dc night or would direct in dc 911 uh some mm-hmm. years old. but
1: he was That's i wanted to ask you about actually dc 911 which is i mean you and i we've now known each other for three years mm-hmm. and i think i'm safe in saying that you and i are both shall we say Left leaning.
0: Yes, yes, not to the point that I completely fall over, but I yes, yes.
1: Um. And um, here's another case where you're I, I think you were I could see you in the book balancing your artist impulses against your business impulses. This was a job, even though it was a job that maybe did not jibe with your beliefs.
3: Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I, I mean, uh, certainly, uh, it, let's say, uh, there, there were those that said, why would you take that movie on? I mean, it's completely diametrically, well, I mean, I was not a fan of George Bush, and mm-hmm. I was not a fan, uh, and, uh, and as the movie was taking, you know, in pre-production, it was clear that the invasion of Iraq was uh, imminent, in fact, started during the shoot. Uh, which made my days very long uh, because I would shoot, you know, a a 12-hour day and then I'd come back uh, to my apartment in Toronto and um, watch CNN live as I did, as I ate something and did prep work for the next day's shoot. So I was often, you know, only getting four or five hours sleep a night uh, during the initial, uh, you know, days of the invasion of Iraq. But... I, I, I looked at this this way that I knew it was a propaganda piece that was intended to buff up Bush's you know, image before mm-hmm. the election of the following year, which, of course, he won and won popular vote too, uh, mm-hmm. unlike the last incumbent, uh, and, uh, um, and 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 unlike the last incumbent was prepared to uh, well. Uh, well <laughs> You know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's why we must remain vigilant, folks. Yes, uh, but anyway, I, I thought, uh, I, I, you well, know, I get a call from the pro- programming you know, president of Showtime, uh, Jerry Offsay, saying at nine o'clock at night, saying, I got a problem. You know, you would given me three movies before. Uh, uh, can you help me? I've I'm uh, my director is quitting. And we are two weeks away from shooting. And uh, the concept was to balance the right-wing producer-writer with a left-wing director. But uh, conflict and various other factors uh, has resulted in uh, our director leaving. And uh, the network want me to get a big-name director to replace him, like uh, Roland Joffe. I don't think that's going to happen uh, so I don't think he's going to accept. Um, but I want you wait- to be waiting in the wings. His, uh, right. I'm sent a script round by messenger. So I had it read by midnight and let him know first thing in the morning. You want me? I will do it because, you yeah, know, he's in a bind uh, and he's a man who's done me. You know, he's given me movies in the past. Am I going to say for political reasons? And, and he, he was a lefty himself. But mm-hmm. he he is programming the the network with things of balance, um, right? And uh, so, um, it, ju, ju, uh, as expected, Roland Joffe said, "No, I, I would like a complete halt to the production. Uh, I would have to work over the script with the writer," um, and that wasn't going to happen. The script was considered to be holy writ, and with right. it was was tied all the 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 newsreel footage. That was going to right. be given to a, the production gratis from Fox News. So if the mm. script changed its political perspective, uh, then that that stock footage would not be available. It would have to be purchased from other sources. Uh, mm. Anyway, so there are all these these other factors going on. And anyway, uh, the, the network said, you know, "Shit, hire the director you want." Uh, so yeah. I was. <laughs> And uh, and I found and I've, you know with fifty parts uncast and uh, rapidly you know managed to put it together uh, and I had a cast a lot of actors are lefties too so I had a cast of, of lefties um, and uh, uh, who all you know yeah you know, you know, was not were not bush fans uh, but we we all agreed we, we must do our duty and play it straight uh, and. Uh, I, my rationalization, uh, you might say, is that propaganda, and it was obviously a propaganda piece to help push forthcoming election, propaganda is a two-edged sword, it says just as much about the propagandists as it does right. uh, about its, its, its propaganda message, uh, and, you know, as I was making it, I was shooting these scenes that were taken from um, uh, r- handwritten records uh, notepads by Carl Rove and by Ari Fleischer, which I saw uh, and these scenes were were not fictionalized they they, they, mm. they were all based upon actual conversations that were recorded uh, and uh, in, in in and you know, or, or other documentation from the White House so I felt that it was relatively honest, um, uh, even though, you know, I don't think people agreed at the time. But uh, I I think it was it it might have sharpened Bush's uh, uh, eloquence and uh, literacy. Uh, uh, But though the writer who spent 45 minutes with Bush said he's actually a more intelligent and articulate man than people give him credit for. Uh, and yeah okay I that that, that and 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 Lionel Chetwynd is a very intelligent and articulate man himself so and baroness Thatcher was waiting for for audience uh with Bush uh, and Lionel was meant to get 15 minutes with Bush and he got 45 minutes and baroness Thatcher was kept waiting and, uh, <laughs> well. well, well uh, took president anyway. Uh, um, but uh, so my attitude is that that eventually in the whole with with hindsight, people will look at this film and they, they will they will see you know, clearly from uh, certain scenes, the seeds of the Iraq war um, were the, germinated on the night of of nine eleven uh, in that. Uh, in big cabinet meeting in the presidential emergency compound under the White House and with Rumsfeld pushing for now, you know, we can teach Saddam a lesson and this will give us a perfect opportunity. Uh, And that was a big mistake because they should have gone after, you know, Ben Laden and and, uh, Torah and not diverted troops that could have contained him and captured him or uh, certainly eliminated him not diverted them to Iraq uh, to, or to the buildup for Iraq so anyway that's
3: uh,
0: but I think it, it's it's a good it, it's it's a good historical document as to what happened in those ten days uh, that is free of you know, of really free of you know, well I, I suppose as it paints uh, a picture of him being a good a good chief executive it therefore is you know uh, it, it it could be regarded as probably um but it also shows some of the flaws of, of, of you know of the policy at the time uh and uh, um and it it, it yeah it, it's a it's a sort of uh a snapshot of america at that time yeah uh, so yeah, i'm glad it's a cult- I,
2: cultural artifact now. yeah i'm
0: glad i make it it made it I, because i i we, we have to try and take politics out of culture as much as we, we can. And no one should, you know, you shouldn't be canceled uh, for uh, making, <laughs> let's say a right-wing movie in a left-wing time or something like that. But uh, interestingly enough, of course, my a- agents at the time couldn't get me meetings at networks who were where particular, you know, the executives were you know, much on uh, on the left you know were, were of a, of a lefty persuasion, just as I was because uh one one of them actively said to my uh, agent i 'm not hiring the man who made the bush movie, uh, so you know uh, it, I just think that's uh, uh, that's not the way to look at it um, but there again uh, uh, and all, yeah, uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of good things in that movie, and, and I'm very glad that you know, the documents that, from which the script were taken uh, found their way effectively uh, uh, onto the screen for,, you know, and p- the public sort of saw how government operated in those 10 days.
1: Well, my friend, um, once again, we want to pump, pump yeah. Pump. We want to pimp your book? Yes,
0: absolutely. 580 pages, 200 of which are uh, of uh, illustrations. Well, uh, as,
2: as a trailer editor, you know, it's 580 pages, but it moves along. Oh, it, it does. It's... That, yeah, it keeps yeah. it moving. You
0: know, if there's anything that, uh, yeah, Pace is my middle name. though. Right. So obviously, when I waffle on in these podcasts, uh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem so. Uh, but when it comes to fashioning a piece of entertainment entirely under my control, then pace is certainly uh, foremost, in, almost in my thinking. And it all comes from trailers. Anyway, I definitely
1: recommend for- it. We recommend we recommend this book. We recommend um, Alice's Adventures Through the Multiverse, which is still available.
0: And if you yeah, just have a few million dollars, you could turn it into a movie because it would make an excellent movie. And if you're interested in alternative history, fantasy writing, you'll certainly like us through the multiverse. It did get a nibble from a big production company um, who looked at, you know, can we turn it into a streaming series? But I think they found it too hard to turn it into a streaming series. So, uh, but... There again, some some bright spark might come along one day and say, whoo, you know, um, there's uh, well, well, you've
1: always heard about my dream, my dream studio.
3: Uh huh.
1: If, if I woke up one day and suddenly found myself with a movie studio, I would basically be calling people up and say, hey, here's five million dollars and just get out of their way. Yeah. Yeah. Film what you some, want. It's five million dollars. So it's not going to kill us if it's not successful. But if it is successful, we'll get a bigger profit than we than we put in.
0: Sounds like the Bloomhouse policy to me. hmm And very so, good one.
1: And I, I guarantee you, Brian, if it, that ever happened, you would be the first person I would call.
0: Yes, though Bloomhouse hasn't called. There again, their loss. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, make a film for a sensible price where you don't get killed uh, and that, you know, you should have an upside. And, you know, with the the calculus used to be that um, you only you might get 25 percent of your budget back out of theatrical release, you know, provided you didn't overspend on prints and ads or um, your, you know, your star didn't do something ghastly just before the, uh, uh, the 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 release and uh, uh, and suddenly you know, become. Yeah, un- but we don't want to have to
1: re re uh, shoot all is all the scenes with Tig Notaro, now, do we?
0: Yeah, no, <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we don't want to have to do
2: that.
1: Uh, no, although uh, Tig was the best thing in that movie.
2: She worked out well in that. I yeah, guess in that, yeah, in that role.
0: She 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 was a breath of fresh air, so to speak. Um, Anyway, look. I'm glad that you. Uh, I'm flattered by your opinion of my work and, uh, and and my opinion of adventures in the in the B movie trade. And I may, no doubt, at some point, write another book about cinema and maybe recount some of my uh, further adventures. Uh, the, uh, you
1: know it. what I'd love to see? I would love to see a book of film theory from you. Mm. Yes. I, I, you know, I, I've told. I, I call you the walking encyclopedia of film knowledge as you know and you always when i ask you for a recommendation you give me something interesting and i i would i would love to to, to read like a philosophy of film
0: yeah well, i may incorporate some of that i mean you get a little bit of that you yeah, know, in 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 the book currently uh but uh, yes uh certainly i i'd, I'd like to do that i'd And uh, but I have tended to use my career as a coat hanger in in the book to spin off into, you know, uh, let's say a little bit of social history that is relevant to a film at the time uh, and and to developing public tastes and and, and so forth. So I always think that that's that's relevant as well. But as for film theory. Yeah, I I am essentially a classicist. Uh, I I. in, in the Spielbergian school, uh, I would say. Um, and he, you know, he, he knows, you know, you know, he, 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 he knows how to, to, to ground the audience in, in a scene in the geography of, uh, of the scene and in the way, uh, the, the participants interact, um, in a, in a fluid way. Um, and he, he, he puts a lot of energy in, into the staging with camera movement uh, and you know, obviously interesting angles. But hey, you know Frankenheimer was doing low wide uh, uh, angles. Yeah, you know, uh, you no, know that Frankenheimer one of my But I mean it, it, Spielberg, you know, I, I I liked his classical approach to telling a story uh, and keeping the visuals uh, interesting. And, um, you know, maintaining the energy level of the piece. And so I'm certainly don't say that that I I don't mean to compare myself favorably with Spielberg, but um, I'm certainly in that school of uh, of film uh, theory, let's say.
1: So, guys, we will be back to our usual shenanigans next month. But it is always a pleasure to sit down with our friend Brian Trenchard Smith. Thank you for taking the time. It's a pleasure to sit down with you too.
2: Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks Two is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow.
3: And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids.
1: Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.